0: the 90s welcome to the millennials of socal podcast with philly phil and nat attack let's talk about the music cartoons and everything else about the best generation that is so yesterday
1: Hey everybody, it's Philly Phil, and it's the Nat Attack, and we are the Millennials of SoCal. This is episode number four of the Halloween series, number two. That's right. Nat, so what's been going on for the past few days? Well, let's start off with yesterday was your birthday. Oh yes, (laughs) I am now officially 30 plus one. Uh, You can just pretend to be 25 forever, I guess. I guess I can. I get away with it. Oh yeah,
0: you definitely have a baby face.
1: Thank you. Yeah, ha- especially no. if I shave.
0: No, but happy belated birthday to you, love.
1: Oh yeah, thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what else is on the topic besides me aging, you celebrating how much longer I have to live well, or no. celebrating every year it's close to my death?
0: No, you know how I feel about older men. I love them. Thank you. You're welcome. No, okay. um, No. Well, besides that, like, what's been going on in millennial news?
1: Well, what I've seen was a commercial of The new Super Mario Brothers movie.
0: Oh, yeah. Was it the first official trailer of the movie? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was a really cool trailer.
1: When they announced the cast, we were kind of like questioned about some characters playing certain roles, but the one that got us really energized was Jack Black as Bowser.
0: Yeah, I'm excited for that. Yes,
1: and we saw the trailer Mm -hmm. and... That was actually pretty good.
0: Yeah, I think he did a good job. He did
1: a good, and the beginning of that trailer was pretty funny. It it had them attacking the penguins, right? And the penguins are attacking the Koopas and Bowser's with snowballs. And when the camera zooms back, Bowser right. just standing there, and just it's yeah. all the music sounding so dramatic. Yeah, like, well, he's
0: just getting pelted by snowballs. I mean, how much damage can snowballs do? And then the penguins are so cute.
1: And they acted like it was like their best attack.
0: Yeah, so that's really good. I also liked uh, to see Mario there, too. I'm very excited for this movie. I would have never thought that they would have made a movie out of a video game.
1: Yeah, well, they...
0: Oh, they've made, like, Mortal Kombat, right?
1: Well, yeah, but not in animation, but in movies. They did the same thing with Tomb Raider. Oh, yeah. There was an original Millennial Super Mario Brothers movie live with Sid, John Leguizamo, Oh, okay. And Bob Hoskins from Who Framed Roger Rabbit? He played Mario. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but
1: the movie was pretty cheesy.
0: I would assume so. I it feel was like...
1: pretty. Well, we didn't have all that CGI or all that high tech animation in those days, but now with Illumination, which is the ones who created Despicable Me, got the privilege of doing Super Mario Bros.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, the the movie, the graphics look great. I'm Mm -hmm. really excited. And it comes out April 2023. Yes. So we're definitely gonna go see that. Yes.
1: Yes, we are. We're gonna take our son. He is a Mario fanatic.
0: It's so funny because you know what our son does that we used to do when we were little? Whenever Mario would say, let's go. I would I always thought he was saying Mexico.
1: Oh yeah, I thought that too. A lot of us did that. A <laughs> Mexico. lot. Yeah, I used to say that too, especially when we played Mario Kart and you hit the mushroom and go Yahoo! And we would think he said, Mexico. We're like, wait, isn't he Italian? Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Italian plumber. Guy. He's he's being very ethnical. Um, his race is like, Mexico. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. So our son does that too. He's really funny.
1: Any Mario games on the 64? Because that's when we started first hearing uh, Mario's voice.
0: Oh, right, right. But you know what else? Changing something, you know what else is coming out? That's a millennial thing. What is it? Uh, Blues Clues in the Multiverse.
1: Really? Well, What's with the multiverse of all these movies and these <laughs> comic books and old shows?
0: Okay, I, was, I have to backtrack a little bit because it's, it's not actually called Blue's Clues in the multiverse. Um, that's an ongoing joke on the internet. Um, Blue's Clues is making a return, though, in a new movie that's coming out this November. It's going to be called uh, Blue's big city adventure but the reason that the internet is calling it blue's clues the multiverse is because we have steve we have joe and we have josh yes coming back together with blue so we get to see the original steve again and it like i said it's coming out in november and i'm really excited to see that too even though it's a a little kid movie um i'm gonna take my son to see it as an excuse
1: (laughs) good excuse yeah like oh i want to see it but let's use my son i want everybody to think that I'm that childish.
0: But honestly, I think a lot of other adults are going to be watching it too, solely for Steve. you know. And then we also have salt and pepper and paprika are going to be in it too. It's going to be great. I'm really excited for it. Oh my gosh. And you know what else? What? Okay. uh, Joshua's, his notepad. It's not, it's a phone. Everything is different. They don't get mail anymore. They get emails now. Um, The new guy, Joshua teaches sign language. It's great. It's all wonderful, but it's very different from what I remember, but I'm happy for it. I'm here for
1: it. I haven't seen Blue Poots in years. I can't wait for all this stuff to come out, but we're thinking a little ahead of ourselves. We're still in October, so we need to start thinking about Halloween and what we got on our agenda today. Starting off with Nat, let's see. What do you got for us for the first part of the segment?
0: Do you want to talk about Stranger Things?
1: Well, it's not real. it wasn't really made in the 80s or the 90s, but the show series itself is based in the 80s, which is millennial time. And what is it more that you have to say about Stranger Things? Well, of
0: course, you and I love this show. We're Stranger Things uh, fanatics. The horror show that first came out in 2016, it currently has four seasons and 42 one-hour episodes. We ate up the fourth season, and we're now waiting for the fifth season. There isn't an official release date yet for the fifth season, but I did some digging, and I found out that writing for the fifth season started this past August. And season five is expected to come out sometime in 2024.
1: I had to wait a year. Yeah. Well, almost two, a year and a half, pretty much, yeah. just for that to come out. Well, everybody was waiting for the last season to come out. Look yeah. what happened to Netflix. They said so many people were up waiting for the series' to show, and Netflix just went downhill. I yeah. guess they had uh, the servers were overworked that Netflix went out of order, yeah. and people were just upset because they couldn't watch the show.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because everybody
1: was up. Everybody was trying to watch
0: it at the same time, yeah.
1: Exactly. Mm
0: -hmm, It was great, but that's how good it is. So, Stranger Things was created by Matt and Ross Duffer, or. um, The Duffer
1: brothers. Yes, the
0: Duffer brothers. And they're twins born in 1984, so they're considered older millennials. And of course, Millennials created this awesome show. First, I'm going to jump into the Millennial stuff. Winona Ryder.
1: <laughs> oh, of course, Winona. We were just talking about her last episode with Beetlejuice.
0: Well, we, oh, we already know Winona was born in 1971, so she's Gen X. But, you know, her rise to fame came about in the 80s and with her big starring role as Lydia Dietz in Beetlejuice. Aside from her, although she's not a true Millennial, Um, A true millennial in the Stranger Things show are actually Joe Keery, who plays Steve Harrington. He was born in 1992, so he's just a year younger than us. And also Charlie Ross Heaton, who plays Jonathan Byers. He was born in 1994. Um, These main characters in the show, these are the two only bona fide millennials. The other characters in the friend group are like Generation Z, or um, the older characters like uh, Jim Hopper are Gen X and beyond. Mm -hmm. So back to the inspiration of Stranger Things. There's two possible inspirations that the Duffer Brothers might have taken from when creating Stranger Things. So the first one is apparently inspired by true events, but it's actually supposed to be a conspiracy theory. But before the show got its name, Stranger Things, it was originally going to be called The Montauk Project.
1: The Montauk Project?
0: Yes, and Montauk Project is actually based on a self-published book by a gentleman named Preston B. Nichols. In this book, he describes a secret military project where the government tests the human's brain connection to time travel, teleportation, mind control, and the opening of space and time portals, and child abductions, also Nazis. So all this stuff is really similar to Stranger Things. You can Google this stuff. There's actually like an 84-page PDF document with all this information.
1: Wow, I didn't even know that. Yeah. I just watched the show, and I just see similarities from the show to movies I've seen that came out in the 80s and in the 90s and what i think about that stranger things took from that era and put it into their show which brought in the crowd from our generation and older generations and even the younger gen z yeah
0: i mean it was enough to really make gen- everyone excited everyone was interested in the show because they it, it had enough for everyone It made a connection right but like you said i thought that maybe stranger things had taken things from like movies we've already seen yeah. in the 80s so, nineties.
1: yeah and there was one movie in particular so there's something I've seen that they use in the show, which is John Carpenter's The Thing.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, and you see a, you see a connection I there? I see a
1: connection there because of how they created the creatures in the show. I see mostly grotesque transformations, which The Thing emphasizes, and I see a lot of that in the show.
0: In Stranger Things? Oh, okay. See, I, I didn't see that. I didn't make that connection. But I did make the connection to... Firestarter.
1: Wait, which one? Like
0: Well, me? the first one, the the Drew Barrymore Firestarter.
1: Oh, I have not seen that movie in forever. Yeah. She was just a little girl. She was maybe like, what, eight, nine? Yes. No, she was seven or eight.
0: I think this was after E.T. I believe so. So I made the connection to Stephen King's 1980 uh, book, Firestarter. So if you don't know, follows a father-daughter pair who are running away from a government agency. Um, just like Eleven and Hopper in, in the show. The father in the book or in the movie uh, worked for you know a government agency that was experimenting with drugs and this drug is supposed to give people telekinetic powers. The guy, the father, um, ate some and gave some to his pregnant wife and so they get like weak telekinetic powers but their daughter who was born develops pyrokinetic powers or fire starting. And um without giving away too much, you know, um in the in the movie The Mom is Out of the Picture, and similar to season 2, um we see that the father and daughter like Eleven and Hopper out in like the middle of nowhere kind of hiding. They're, you know, on the run from this government yes. agency, trying to keep hidden. And the girl fights and there's a lot of screaming. Both main characters end up returning to the government agency for a bit that's trying to abuse their powers. You'll see a lot of similarities like that. And I'll stop here because I don't want to ruin the book for anyone who might be interested. Although the book was made into a movie, like you said, in 1984 with Drew Barrymore. And it was also remade later on with Zac Efron, if you prefer uh, that. I know.
1: Yeah, that might be going a little too much on that one. <laughs>
0: no, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't watch that either. But yeah, I mean, it's really interesting to see how things during the millennial timeline have inspired shows of today.
1: It's crazy, though. And we see it consistently. I think so. I'm thinking of Of what you just said it's pretty much the think and firestarter put together yeah and of course dungeons and dragons and they just made it into a parallel universe right yeah that's yeah pretty interesting it is it's a pretty interesting idea to put all three of those in together
0: yeah the inspiration that created this great show today i mean you know otherwise if they hadn't taken inspiration from you know our generation then what would stranger things be today we don't know
1: Worst things.
0: I mean, it could just be that conspiracy theory I was talking about. Yeah, what's <laughs> with you think yeah. of
1: conspiracy theories? I hope you're not that crazy with conspiracies because then we're gonna have a huge problem. <laughs>
0: what problem? I love conspiracy theories. Doesn't just because I like conspiracy theories doesn't mean I believe them. Yeah, as
1: long as you don't believe in them.
0: Yeah, I don't believe in them. I okay. just okay. like them. I think you just like you just
1: like hearing about them, but you don't believe in them. Right. So the next topic, this show came out before me and the Nat attack were born. So this is for the 80s babies. You all loved her, Elvira, the mistress of darkness. And they even made a movie out of it. But let's talk about the show. The movie can be discussed another time. Okay. But we all know Elvira as a gothic punk girl that's just funny. She's a comedian, but yet she's a host for horror B movies.
0: Yeah, and she's really fun to watch too. Oh wait, wait! Can you explain what B movies are, though?
1: As a film production person, B movies are low budget movies. That's pretty much what they are. So you make a film, but with minimal of money. But Elvira will would only handle B horror movies. Actually, I saw one. Uh, my aunt had a collection of Elvira movies, and it was honestly so boring. It was called The Brain That Wouldn't Die. <laughs> It was just such a cheesy story. I mean that sounds so corny too. But the DVD at that time had two versions. And the whole concept of the show was she would interrupt during the movie discussing something that she caught that was like, really? Like one part where I remember was when the nurse comes into a room with no windows and then she looks to the side. She's like, doctor. And then Elvira cuts in between the movie. She's like. Did you see that? None there's just looked through the wall.
0: Oh, okay. So she caught, like, inconsistencies and, and things like that. Things that didn't make Correct. sense. Okay, got it. Correct.
1: And she would do that in these B movies. Um, even um, a little piece of Alvira Mistress of Darkness, when she's doing her show in the beginning of the movie, there's this alien that they're killing, and she... What she said was like, do you guys take a look at that monster? Look like Gumby on steroids. Oh
0: no, Gumby on steroids?
1: Yeah. Oh Yeah, Elvira just took that horror hoses into a whole different level. Not just being just spooky, but she was very hip about it.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. so that's kind of fun too because
1: I- I'm assuming that B-movies aren't normally taken very seriously. Oh, no, they're not. I would think of one B-movie that got somewhere, Mm. and she did it part of her show, too. It was also on the collection. It's an iconic horror movie, The Night of the Living Dead. It was a B-movie, and it it made it big. Mm -hmm. Because now you have Land of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and it was all created by this one director, George Romero. But his first zombie movie was on her show.
0: Wow it yeah, you've seen it, I'm sure.
1: Well, The Night of the Living Dead, yes, but I have not seen it with Elvira interrupting it. With
0: Elvira's commentary? Okay, I would love... I want to see it. I think we should make a date to see it because I want to know what things she caught and then regardless of that movie, had that, those things, those inconsistencies that she would find, I want to know why it made it big. If it was a B
1: movie. Yeah. Talking about the virus show, what started the Elvira show?
0: Oh Yeah, let us know, Phil.
1: So... A long time ago, there was these horror shows, but of course B-movie shows, and there was this host named Larry Vincent, but unfortunately he passed away, so the producers wanted to keep the show going, but they were thinking about having a female host, just like before, where they had this one hostess named Vampira.
0: Oh, okay, Vampire, yeah, I know. Vampire,
1: <laughs> yes. But the thing was, she was already too old. This was like the early 80s, okay. and Vampire was hosting those type of movies in the 50s. Okay, so yeah. you think about it 50s to the 80s, 50s, 60s, 70, 70 years old.
0: Oh no, yeah, it's time to let go, lady. Yes, got well,
1: well, she wanted to be part of the show, but she didn't want to be in the show. She said that she would help the producers find another actress that she can coach, that she can train to be like her to continue on the Vampyra series. So she was t-
0: ready to move on, but she wants to be part of the, the, the next... production. Okay.
1: Yes. And the thing was, they were going to keep the title Vampyra. They just wanted to find another hostess, but it sounded like she was very picky. And she was taking her sweet time just to find an actress because they had a list of actresses auditioning this hostess role. Mm -hmm. But the studios were getting impatient because they were like, this is taking too long. We're wasting our time. So what they did, they went behind her back and Mm -hmm. did their own casting. So here comes Cassandra Peterson. She auditioned with other women and she got the role.
0: All right. But she was not approved by Vampyra then. She, no,
1: because they did this all behind her back. Right. That's what it, it sounds it. like. They did it right behind her back. Got it. So Vampira had nothing to do with Elvira at that time mm-hmm. or Cassandra Peterson. Vampire's real name is Mela Nermi. So they did all this behind her back. And then what the production was doing with Elvira was to create her look, okay. of course, wearing her dress well, which it's very appealing uh,
0: yeah she was very voluptuous she was
1: very voluptuous yes <laughs> she was yes she was beautiful she's beautiful yet yeah, to this day she still is mm-hmm. and there's a joke about her that we saw a few days ago Nat just looked at the video recently and she thought it was funny <laughs> Yeah. and somebody asked her a question cuz she's a comedian right and he's like I got a question for you. And what did she say that?
0: 34D. Because <laughs> everyone, like, you would assume that everyone's going to, like, well, wants to talk, ask her about her breasts, Yes, right?
1: because they're so big in her outfit. Her, Of course, they would show the cleavage.
0: Yeah, she had a lot of cleavage. She had a lot and of cleavage. she was so thin.
1: Even Vampira was very thin back then they wanted women to look thin like that
0: well it's also i think the romantic styling of, of the horror films you know it's it's horror but mm-hmm. it's also sexy
1: yes yeah so creating her costume the production crew wanted to make it hip so they gave her this punk look with comedy in her show but they still kept the title vampire all
0: this sounds like a lawsuit to me
1: yeah that's where <laughs> we're gonna go to okay. you're getting you're getting way ahead okay, so sorry. guess what because they had a contract with Vampire, When she found out what was going on, she filed a lawsuit. She wanted to sue Elvira for $10 million.
0: Wait, she what? wanted to sue Cassandra Peterson. Like her, just her. But she had that, that's not her fault that she was it's picked. It's not. It, yeah. yeah, it's
1: not. But because to her, she pretty much was indicating that she stole her looks, taking her show that she created. But the fact was, it was the production team that did this. Right. That's when they changed the show to Elvira.
0: Okay. I bet they were like, guess what? We're not even going to continue your show anymore. This is a brand new show, so you can't sue anymore.
1: Pretty much, yes. Oh, okay. and, and then from there on, Elvira just continued doing what she did best.
0: Yeah, and she took off from there.
1: Yes, and of course, to conclude to this this part of the segment, what she would say in the end of her lines, unpleasant dreams. That's Elvira.
0: Elvira, all right.
1: What's your next topic
0: I have the show Friends. Mm-hmm. I'll be there for you when the rain starts. To... <laughs> yeah, Friends. Actually, Friends, um, sticking with our Halloween theme this month, I'm going to talk to you about the episode called The One with the Halloween Party. And
1: it's great. The, the pink bunny. Yeah, the mm-hmm.
0: pink bunny, right. This episode is the eighth episode of their sixth season, which was released November 1st of 2001 not entirely well, in the 90s but hey it's still no
1: friends was considered a millennial sitcom
0: right yeah this is their sixth season so they're now they, they've gone from the 90s into the 2000s now and do you know that this is the only halloween episode in their entire series like there's no other halloween episodes in friends just this you one know. so in this episode just like the title suggests um, monica and chandler they're, they're a couple at this point and they throw a halloween party of course everyone is dressed up this is what made me laugh monica was Catwoman. chandler was a giant pink rabbit as you said um initially monica was trying to get him like a brown and white rabbit suit because his favorite book was the velveteen rabbit but she couldn't find one so chandler got stuck with a pink rabbit costume which was like hilarious ross is spudnik but it's a play on words costume so spudnik like the the satellite but he's actually a potato with like <laughs> like a, a metal thing on his head so, yeah. Antenna. <laughs> right, an antenna on his head, right? Um, Rachel is wearing a new dress as her costume, Phoebe is Supergirl, <laughs> and Joey, which is iconic, is dressed as Chandler. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I yeah. forgot about that.
0: But that's so smart. For Joey being like the quote-unquote dumb character in the show, I think it's kind of smart that he dressed up as Chandler, and I'm going to take after him this year, and I'm going to dress up as you for Halloween, Phil.
1: That'll be impossible. You no, can't. You can't rock it.
0: No, I can't. All your clothes are in the closet. I'm just going to steal them and walk around as you.
1: Dude, my shirt is going to go all the way to your ankles.
0: Yeah, I know. You you wear pretty good clothes. True. But I mean, I'll pull off the jolo look for sure, though. (laughs) So in this episode, we see um, Phoebe's twin, Ursula, for the last time in the show also. It's a fun fact. The storyline here is that Phoebe's sister, Ursula, is engaged, has a fiancé, but she only met him like two weeks prior to this Halloween party, so they don't really know each other. However, Ursula has been literally lying to her fiancé about everything in her life, Phoebe, like, doesn't take any of her bull crap and, like, calls her out all her lies, and that's, like, pretty much it. Ends Ursula's engagement, and that's also, like I said, the last time we see Ursula in the show. Um, Rachel's deal in this show is that she wants to tend to the trick-or-treaters at the door because by this time in the series, Rachel is pregnant. Oh. So she wants to deal with the kids. She wants to interact with the kids. But the thing is, Rachel's really bad at it. She buys candy, and once she bores the first trick-or-treaters, and then one trick-or-treater ends up saying that, like, says oh I love you so Rachel gives up and like gives her all her candy in the bag and now because Rachel has no candy Rachel has to start giving out money but the money runs out so then she starts writing checks eventually Gunther from the coffee shop comes in and brings candy and then Rachel and Gunther have to like pretend to date I don't know it's this whole thing Rachel always gets herself into trouble that way and then um so later in this episode we see Ross and Chandler arm wrestle but it takes them forever because no one can win they're both so weak Ross eventually confesses that he wants Chandler to let him win And Chandler, you know, lets him win out of pity, but later Ross denies this. And it's funny because Chandler later has to, like, arm wrestle Monica to prove that he let him win, but he can't even beat Monica because he's so weak. Um, A fun trivia fact about this episode is that Emily Osmond was one of the trick-or-treaters at the door with Rachel. And if you don't know, she was actually Hannah Montana's best friend in the Disney Channel show, Hannah Montana. So she got, she had a little...
1: She had appear- a little scene. appearance
0: there, yeah, before she made it big on Hannah Montana. So that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But a great piece of trivia about this episode is that it was the first episode to air after the attack of
1: 9 11. Oh, um, now be- I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. In the beginning of the, of the episode, we see uh, Joey wearing like a New York Fire Department t shirt, you know, as an homage to the first mm-hmm. responders. And Lisa Kadro, who plays Phoebe, would later say that this episode was her favorite because people would go up to her like after the episode aired, people would go up to her and thank her for making her making them laugh essentially after such a tragic yeah yeah so it
1: what if your uncle was there remember what he said because he worked at warner brothers yeah that after 9-11 that
0: yeah well anywhere in um the united states where a lot of tourists would come they and the government ended up shutting them down from the public so when friends needed an audience for a laugh track my uncle who worked at Warner Brothers and all this—they were all invited to be the audience for you know all these shows, and they were the laugh track for that. So yeah, it, it might be a possibility that my uncle was there. Yeah, in the he episode. probably
1: was there in that episode. <laughs> yeah, I might—I
0: yeah. I should call him and ask him. That'd be fun to find out.
1: Well, he did tell us that when he took us to Warner Brothers.
0: Uh I think he went. He saw Ellen for sure.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah.
0: Right, right. And uh, a few others. But yeah, that's fun. We've been to the Warner Brothers a lot, guys. It's really cool.
1: Especially when you know people that work there.
0: It's so cool because we were able to
1: um, walk go- around and do whatever we want. Because what they say is always pretend to know what you're doing. Because then if you look lost then they're gonna know that you're just there and they're gonna throw you out.
0: Right, right. But we got really lucky because the passes that we got, we were able to go to the cafeteria where all the actors eat.
1: Yeah, even we have been at the actual set of friends. We sat on their couch.
0: We sat on their couch, yeah.
1: Yes, and we even have a picture of the famous cafe sign.
0: The coffee shop set was still there and we were able to hang out in there for a bit and we took our pictures.
1: That's where I lost my ID. Yeah,
0: you <laughs> lost your ID that same day, too.
1: Yeah, well, it, it was lost there, because remember I asked him, where well, was my lost, ID? You lost it on the Friends couch. Yes. <laughs> you did That yeah. was funny.
0: But that was, that's Friends. That's the, the one and only Halloween episode okay. of Friends. Yeah.
1: Okay, well, where's the other one? I'll let you do another one.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I want to do Boy Meets World.
1: Ah, uh, Boy Meets World. You know, unfortunately, I... Honestly, personally, wasn't a Disney person, so I personally didn't watch those shows. But my sisters, seen it.
0: Yeah, they, oh, they were into it? Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay, so yeah, my parents didn't let me watch so much of Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network. I was, I was definitely more of a Disney's 90 kid, so I really, Boy Meets World was actually my favorite show as a mm-hmm. child. It had a, a prime time spot, actually, from 6 to 7, so it, it, for Disney, it had one of the best ratings at that time. Wow. And I especially like this Halloween episode because it was essentially a slasher parody. None of it was serious mm-hmm. yeah and normally the Boy Meets World series was a more of a serious show they touched on more serious topics except for this one because every character was a trope. Oh what? A trope like an overused or seen over and over again theme. There's a storyline to this episode that makes sense, but I'm only gonna talk to you about the tropes, and I think once I once I tell them to you, you'll catch on, you'll get it. So the episode aired in 1998 and starts with um, the group of friends in detention over a pencil, a big pencil, <laughs> and the main cast that we see in all the episodes. But there's also another random student in detention whose name is Kenny. Mm-hmm. So because it's a Halloween episode, all these ominous signs like start to occur for example the map in the beginning of the classroom kind of like rolls up and behind it you see in like bloodstained letters no one is going to get out of here alive <laughs> so that's the first ominous sign right and then it pans over to the classroom light switch and you see a black gloved hand turn off the lights in the detention room mm. next thing you know the lights are on again and that student kenny is found killed with the giant pencil through his forehead
1: oh my god like
0: against the wall
1: Wow. <laughs> yeah.
0: And this produced the iconic South Park trope of, oh my God, they killed Kenny.
1: Wait a minute. They got it from that?
0: Yeah. So Boy Me- it's a trope. Like you see something. Oh my so- God. South Park always said that, oh my God, they killed Kenny. I know. So Boy Meets World took the trope and then used it in their show on the slasher parody. Oh,
1: okay. Okay. Yeah. Ba- okay. I had it backwards. Now I get it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah yeah so um that's just one trope, but the rest of the episode is silly in that way but there's also some gory scenes It makes the episode a lot of fun to watch if you're not familiar we have Cory and Depanga, which are the the two like lovers in the series um during this episode they happen to be broken up but mm. if you don't know they are also virgins
1: oh well let me tell you this before you jump to that everybody knows this horror fact if you want to survive in a horror situation you have to be a virgin.
0: Yes, exactly. So that's that's another trope. Um, and this is funny because in the series, Cory and Topanga have literally been dating forever, essentially, since they were kids. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they hadn't done the deed um, by this time and that they're making fun of it was really funny. It's, it's like the characters are laughing at themselves because although they're not together anymore, they're still virgins and they're not going to die. <laughs> so yeah. And Corey's best friend Sean is the character that knows essentially what's going on. He starts to rationalize all these events. He's like, wait, I'm connecting the dots. Bloody words on the chalkboard, random Whoa. student dead, you know. <laughs> and he starts to, hey guys, this is we're in a we're in a parody, you guys. Um, so he's kind of breaking the fourth wall in this episode. Oh. Okay. So, for example, he he predicts who's gonna die first, and he's correct, and then he warns the group that whoever they suspect next will turn up dead, which is exactly what happens. In the episode, there's like a creepy janitor and he's like all pale in the face and he looks decrepit and old and he's now a creepy character. So Sean says, who do you expect to be the killer? And everyone's like, oh, that creepy janitor that just walked by. (laughs) Next thing you know, boom, he's dead. Sean is correct. (laughs) And this is important. Like Sean's ability to do this during this episode is important because like I said, Boy Meets World was a serious show with comedic pauses throughout. And Sean's role here was vital to keeping us everyday viewers Mm-hmm. on board with this. Like, oh okay, Sean is leading us through this unexpected Halloween episode that we wouldn't normally see. And mm-hmm. Sean is kind of walking us through what happens next. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of it's kinda of easier to follow the episode with him narrating it in a sense. Yeah, I see. It was also and like I said, it was Disney, so it was a kid friendly show as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um did you know that Jennifer Love Hewitt guest starred on this episode?
1: No, I did not.
0: Yeah, her her character name was Jennifer Love Pfefferman. Yeah, and you know, in real life, Jennifer Love Hewitt, she was known as the 90s Scream Queen.
1: Oh. <laughs> yeah, she she
0: was in that 1997 movie, I Know What You Did Last Summer, so she heard, she's known oh, for her scream, right? Oh,
1: yes, now I know.
0: Right, so back to the trope, Sean's girlfriend, Angela, actually takes on the trope of Scream Queen. You see a shot where Jennifer Love Hewitt is screaming, but Angela looks at her like, uh-uh. Not in this show, honey. I'm the screamer in this show.
1: You Mm -hmm. can go
0: do something else, right? So they kind of make fun of her in Uh that way.
1: I know the original, which I think I told you was Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh
0: yes, of course.
1: That's now that's like what you said. It's a trope.
0: It keeps happening. Yes, because uh, yes,
1: because there's always that one woman that (laughs) is always caught screaming.
0: Right. So in this episode, since. Jennifer Love Hewitt kind of tries to take on the, the screaming trove here. Angela says, no, I'm that screen queen now. But anyways, but overall, this episode was is really fun to watch. And I, I recommend watching most of the kill scenes on YouTube, especially the, oh my God, they killed Kenny <laughs> line. Um, I'm going to show it to you here and we um, uh, will just record right. your reaction to it. Okay. okay. D- just right. do
1: it. What the heck? <laughs> She's just screaming and pointing like, I'm not, I'm not seeing anything. She's just screaming. Oh, 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 <laughs> so, oh my gosh.
0: So, it, it, so uh, you see, so you see oh, now, yeah. you see Kenny It's
1: funny because she's screaming. She's screaming. They're just like looking at her like, what? And when they turn around, you see Kenny dead with a pencil through his
0: forehead up against the wall. And if you missed it, um, the, Kenny slides down his body.
1: Oh, yeah, slides down, right?
0: So the pencil mark is left on the wall. Yes. But Corey comes up and says, we'll always remember he was this tall. <laughs> <laughs> <But> wow. <laughs> it's funny because he wasn't really that tall. Of course, he had gone yeah. down a bit. But, yeah. It's, so the whole episode is just um, a bunch of these little tropes and even they even have a Scooby-Doo part where they're running through the hallways and they're <laughs> doing the Scooby-Doo thing, they're all running in a group and then there's an, a part where Sean says, okay, the next thing that's going to happen is we're all going to turn around and the killer is going to walk by us but no one's going to see it and it happens. They turn, they're like, yeah, see so you turn around now? They all look, and then the killer, mass killer, walks by, and they all miss it. But us, the viewer, sees it. Yes. The rest of the series, like I said, is not really like this, but it's really fun to watch, and I really yeah. recommend you guys look it up on YouTube.
1: Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> that nice. was
0: Boy Meets World.
1: Wow, uh, that actually was pretty, pretty dope.
0: Yes, but yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a great show. Yeah.
1: Now it's my turn. What's Not next? just my turn, but you're into it too, so we both can work on this one together. Okay. It's not really a horror show or a Halloween special, but it is kind of creepy. SpongeBob SquarePants Franken Doodle. Couple
0: of nightmares. Yeah,
1: so Franken Doodle aired January 21st, 2002. Oh, okay. But SpongeBob was of course the end of the millennial era. It started in the late 90s and it went through the 2000s. It was pretty much the last of the millennial shows to continue on when everything else in the 90s just Gone. The, how the show starts off is we always hear Frenchie doing the narration. Okay. You know I can't do Frenchie. Ah, uh, bikini bottom. <laughs>
0: Down in the bikini bottom, we there. see our young's poorest friend in yeah. his pineapple abode.
1: Or one hour later. But anyways, so Frenchie's narrating the beginning of the show, where Artis is drawing in the middle of the sea, and he's so conceited about his drawing that he kisses his pencil. I don't know how this happens. He, How he's drawing getting all creative and his pencil just flies out of his hand and into the ocean.
0: Yeah, and he only has
1: one pencil. And he only has one pencil. <laughs> and like the narrator's like, rule number one, always bring a spare pencil. And the scream, of course, is a Plankton voice. Oh, yeah. Because you know how Plankton screams? I know the sound editor to Spongebob right. and I asked him this question about this one line, which is, My leg! My leg! Yeah. He said that it was all the voice actor of Plankton. It's funny. SpongeBob and Patrick are playing rock, paper, scissors with bubbles. And, of course, the pencil. Patrick always picks paper, and the pencil goes between the bubble papers, and then they look at it and they start screaming, running. And then somehow Patrick just stops for a second and looks at the pencil. Then he screams again. <laughs> and I was like, why did he do that? And Patrick, up, go touch it. And his arm stretches all the way to touch <laughs> right? the pencil. And they start drawing with the pencil and realizing that the pencil is... Art comes to life with the pencil. Right. So it's funny because how the drawing goes is that spongebob draws and patrick is being a critic and the next thing you know he's like oh your art's coming to life and spongebob's like that's more like it because he's taking it as a better critic and then he thought it was a
0: compliment he thought
1: it was a compliment but really like no it's like swimming away (laughs) (laughs) yeah but thing was about that cartoon it was like it was freaky but it was funny it was really funny it got to me so when oh so it is too funny because <laughs> so you can picture it in your head
0: there's so many scenes like that in Spongebob that, like, as a child, like, I'd look back at it and I was like, that was so funny. Like We had great
1: television, dude. It was great yeah. television. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of glad that I know um, the, the sound editor yeah. for the show yeah. and him to tell me all these adventures he had with Spongebob. Yeah. And how funny it was that... Yeah. He made the sound effects for these shows because mm-hmm. he won three Emmys off SpongeBob. Well,
0: name drop. What you was your friend's name? Go on.
1: Well, his name is Jeff Huntchen, and
0: he was the sound editor for Rockwell's Modern Life, SpongeBob.
1: SpongeBob regular show. He was. He
0: did Batman too.
1: He did a lot of cartoons, and a majority of those shows were our childhood. So we were kids when he was editing these shows, and he said that he wouldn't stop until it sounded funny and that's what i loved about spongebob all these noises and weird effects that this was all him
0: yeah and i also want to add that he told us this that um you know the any part of spongebob where you hear cheering
1: Mm-hmm. like that
0: he was on the beach and they were cheering that was his family he got all his family together and he's like okay guys stand out in the backyard and cheer like yay and that's how we got the noise for that for example he also told us about how all the sh- random sheep sounds that were in the 90s cartoons we're going off a tangent but it's just so great to know all these little tidbits about these these people that have worked on all these shows that we love as children you know
1: mm-hmm. yeah but when he did the, these shows it was just like a blessing to be like you know dude you made my childhood so fun Funny man, not just the the art, but the sound as well.
0: Yeah, because when I think of SpongeBob, I think of all the iconic lines. It's great.
1: Yes, it's so great. Back to Frank and Doodle. Of course, they're drawing pictures and they prank Squidward. But before they prank Squidward, Patrick asks for a mustache. SpongeBob draws this Doc Holiday mustache, and it flies <laughs> away and lands on Squidward's head. And Squidward's fantasizing for hair, and it just lands perfectly on his head. And then Squidward's dressed all proper. He's like, I'm going to take a stroll in the park. Yeah. And then they want to prank him by drawing money on his green rug. And <laughs> Squidward looks like, oh, somebody's left me some money for a perm. And then when they draw a string from the dollar, they pull it. Mm-hmm. And Squidward falls and the, the little mustache falls out. And then it starts flying away. <laughs> and the way it sounds, this is why I think a Jeff ge- It's like, <laughs> like, it flies away. <laughs> oh
0: no my hair
1: yeah and then Squidward's bald again Squidward's bald again and then next thing you know this is where the creepy part comes in when Spongebob draws him which really he draws the Doodlebob right he's just missing a tie Mm -hmm. and he draws the tie like it looks pretty easy how you draw the Spongebob tie and then Doodlebob's just creepy very creepy and he just speaks nothing but nonsense he's like what what? he's like the. Uh,
0: no, the iconic hi <laughs>
1: yeah and then um, when he goes to Squidward he Squidward looks at him and he beats up Squidward mm-hmm. and they're like tell him up stop and then he tackles him down and he gets the pencil and he's like a barbarian like shooting the pencil up in the air right, he's right. like mm-hmm. and they're like he's got the pencil mm-hmm. and they're out looking for him and freaking Patrick this is what I loved about Patrick and he's like Sponge was like, Where is he? Baby's in the poorly drawn pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> and you can tell it's like, of course he's gonna be in there, but like Patrick's just like
0: mm-hmm. like,
1: like not really using his brain. When does like, he ever use his brain? <laughs> yeah. And then they both go in there. But the, what's funny is that they jump in the bush, baby steps, and you see one, <laughs> each of their foot, their legs, and they're just walking together. Right. <laughs> like, how is that possible? Dude, I
0: pencils work underwater, apparently. So, yeah you, yeah, you. how does anything happen in this
1: show? Yeah, they see Doodle Bob out in the middle of the field just, like, playing with the pencil. And then he, I guess, Punch was like, Hey, he's dropped the pencil. Well, this is our chance, Patrick. And next thing you know he just busts through the the through the courtroom They pick up Spongebob and Spongebob's like screaming for his life He's say, like, Patrick, Patrick, <laughs> do something The <laughs> way well, he did it and the music went with it. The music was so dramatic too that it w- <laughs> <laughs> And Patrick just like Happy birthday! And <laughs> then cracks him in the head with the rock. Mm-hmm. He's like, You're welcome. Right. But of course Spongebob gets the pencil, erases him, right. but of course misses the hand. Oh yeah. And Spongebob takes the pencil and then he draws up his own room like he makes it super fancy. Right, yeah. And then the hand makes his way back to SpongeBob's house. The hand is of course goes inside the, the pineapple. Mm-hmm. He's going upstairs by stairs. But my question is this. Mm-hmm. One of the floors, the hand goes to the bathroom.
0: Oh, yeah. How does he do it? <laughs> yeah, how does he do that? I don't know. Yeah, because
1: he goes up and you just hear the toilet flush. Right. <laughs> or maybe the hand saw something in the toilet flush. I don't know. Maybe Or you actually,
0: know. another thing that caught my attention is Spongebob's house has three floors. Yes. Right? Yeah,
1: <laughs> but it only has that one window. Right. <laughs> yeah. But that's what's funny, right? Yeah, it's so and funny. And then the pencil, of course, he gets to the pencil... The pencil's moving, and SpongeBob wakes up. And he's like, "Oh, hey, magic pencil! What are you doing there? Drawing yourself a glass of water?" Evil Doodle stands up, and he's like, "Ha! Ah, <laughs> Doodle!" <no! laughs> <laughs> Your voice is killing me right now. <laughs> yes. Doodle Bob! I'm like, like doodle Bob! It's like, no hard feelings. And mm-hmm. he draws evil eyes. Yeah, and thank I've, you guys. And then he threatens SpongeBob. He's like, what is it? You doodle Bob, mm-hmm. me SpongeBob. But the whole sequence of that show was just really creepy but funny. Yeah. It, it was a mix of you know both. That's what I like about genres of mixing two into one. It's really it, well done. it it does really good. Mm-hmm. Even in not just in movies but in TV shows. It's really really good. I mean,
0: and listen to us now. That episode aired almost 2 decades ago and we're still laughing our butts off. Yeah, on we're it.
1: still laughing our butts off. Yeah. Pretty much in conclusion that like, gets Doodle Bob onto a piece of paper and then this is my question. I don't know if you're going to understand. So he puts the the picture on the wall. And Patrick comes in, he's like, It's a doodle bob and then SpongeBob just tells him what it is and Patrick is like, So he's just a drawing? Exactly and what do you think and then patrick's still looking but he's look i don't know if he's looking at the picture or looking at the actual picture of spongebob oh. because there's an actual picture of spongebob and he's like still looks pretty weird and freaky to me yeah. so it's like wait a minute is he talking about spongebob yeah, or the he, evil doodle because no, he
0: is he's insulting spongebob he's like oh he looks like a weirdo or whatever he said yeah. right yeah
1: and of course you know the conclusion of the show they shoot the pencil back off with patrick's mouth mm-hmm. and as soon as the artist gets his pencil back of course you see it's like band-aid in the yeah. other pencil. and when he you can tell he put too much pressure on the pencil mm-hmm. for it to break you can straight out tell right
0: right yeah and then of
1: course bring a sharpener and he screams like i
0: know not this artist forgets second pencil and, and also a sharpener he's all over the place yes
1: <laughs> so yeah, so <laughs> let's continue on to the franken doodle he has made other appearances not big but very, very minimal.
0: Okay. And so
1: in the later series of Spongebob, pretty much when we kind of gave up on Spongebob until Steven Hillenburg passed away. Yeah,
0: that's when I stopped watching.
1: He was such a creative man. What Jeff told me about him, he's like, this guy was just has so much to express. And he took me away from Joe Murray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's well, a creative man. I don't think he took him away from Joe Murray, because Joe Murray is the one who created... Rocco's Modern Life, but Steven Hillenburg was part of it.
0: Oh, okay. But like
1: Jeff said, is that Steven Hillenburg liked Jeff. He was the one that took Jeff.
0: Right. Definitely one of the creative minds and geniuses of our childhood. Of, of our
1: childhood. And it's just so unique that this man created the shows, and unfortunately, he passed away, but his legacy lives on through SpongeBob. Yeah. And especially, like, they're still making things but without him it's not the same so that's our conclusion with spongebob with that spongebob with frankendoodle
0: that's frankendoodle
1: (laughs) all right guys the shows are now officially done now to the really really good stuff we're talking about the movie usually we go by three but we are giving you guys four.
0: Ooh, generous phil
1: i am generous (laughs) so we can take turns on this now so how about this do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Why don't we just do rock, paper, scissors and just figure this out? Yeah, or let's ask this. Everybody, how would you like to hear the Magic 8 Ball?
0: Yeah, how about we introduce you guys to our new segment called the Wisdom of the Magic 8 Ball. Yes,
1: so we're going to start it right now because we're in Halloween season. And in the long run, guys, go ahead and throw our yes no question about anything millennial like that this number 8 ball can answer.
0: Right, it has to be a yes or no question. It has
1: to be a yes or no. That's the thing about the magic eight ball. Now, provide me with one question, and then after that, I will provide you with a question.
0: Is Frank and Doodle still alive somewhere?
1: Let's find out. So I'm shaking the number eight ball, and the number eight ball says, without a doubt. So. <gasps> Wait,
0: that's true because you said he appeared later in the season. He appeared oh, later, yeah. The
1: eight ball the is eight, correct. The eight ball is correct. Yeah. That's the magic of the eight ball.
0: Okay, now you ask asking a question, Phil.
1: Let's do. Let's give you a little Halloween question in a telekinesis fight. Would Eleven beat Matilda?
0: Okay, let's ask the magic eight ball. they are shaking. We're shaking. I'm hoping to get some foley so we can add it, maybe. The Magic 8-Ball says,
1: my sources say no. Wow, so you're saying Eleven... Would lose to Matilda? Would lose to Matilda. That could make sense. You know what, no,
0: I absolutely accept that answer. No, I
1: think you, you could be right because, yes, give me a quick, like, 30 seconds or a minute. Okay. Because Eleven has an issue of controlling her power, and all her powers is to, to destroy, to kill. Well, Matilda does have the ability to control her own power.
0: Yeah, I mean, and Matilda was young. Like, she was in first grade or whatever.
1: Yeah. She was younger
0: than 11, and she had full control of her powers, and she had been Mm -hmm. practicing it.
1: Yes. I think this millennial little red bow girl can do it all.
0: Yeah, I agree. Matilda's the
1: winner. Yeah. Next topic. Let's start with something completely out of a book. Nat, what do you got?
0: Let's talk about The Shining. Alright. right. Okay, this movie came out in 1980. Of course, it's based on the Stephen King novel of the same name. The Mm -hmm. Shining was directed by Stanley Kubrick and Mm -hmm. is two hours and 26 minutes long. It's a long movie.
1: It's pretty, pretty long.
0: (laughs) Yeah. The Shining stars are, of course, Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, and young Danny Lloyd. We know uh, Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall from their iconic roles, right?
1: Yeah, of course, Jack Nicholson, uh, Chinatown... When I think of Shelley Duvall, I think of that weird Popeye movie with Robin Williams. And she does play. But she
0: fits the part. She
1: fits the part. Yeah, right. What's her name, Uh, the character from Popeye? It's Olive. it's Olive.
0: Yeah, that's a cute name. Yeah, but she totally looks like an Olive too.
1: Yeah, she's uh, she's really skinny. And tall. Tall and rocks the ponytail. So yeah, she plays a good Olive. Right.
0: Oh, but did you know that Danny Lloyd, who was six years old when this film came out, he was in this film and then one other movie called Will, the Autobiography of G. Gordon Liddy. Mm-hmm. Um, he was only in two movies and he simply said that he was not interested in an acting career. However, he was spotted as a background actor in the 2019 uh Doctor Sleep, which is I think is a remake.
1: Yeah, no, no, it's not a remake. It's a sequel.
0: Oh, oh the sequel. I'm sorry. So he was he was in the background of Doctor Sleep in 2019, mm-hmm. and although he's only been in like two films, like his his big one, of course, being The Shining. There's been 16 documentaries that mentioned him for his um, pivotal role in The Shining,
1: from mm-hmm.
0: 1984 to 2002. So. There's been 16 other films essentially that just have talked about him because he's so iconic.
1: Just for playing Danny in The Shining.
0: Right, exactly. Mostly, yeah. Right, and and I think in current day, I think he's a teacher, a professor somewhere in Missouri or Kentucky. Yeah, he's he's in the educational field. Oh,
1: that's really good. Yeah. yeah. I heard about child actors that uh, change their career paths, such as. Um, the actor who played Benny the Jet Rodriguez and Sanlot, he became a fireman.
0: Oh, that's cute.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I lo- that some of yeah guy.
1: some of them just they just don't want to act no more, even though they played those big roles as kids, and then they just decide that you know what, I want to do this, I want to do that,
0: I want to be normal.
1: Yes, pretty much.
0: <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. So, um, The Shining. You know, it's safe nice to assume that everyone has seen or at least heard of The Shining. Its budget was $19 million, but made just over $620,000 in its opening week. That's nothing.
1: That's nothing but opening week, so...
0: Yeah, this was back in 1980. As of today, though, The Shining has grossed over $44 million worldwide. Well, that's
1: pretty good, especially from a book, book yeah. to movie.
0: Right, right, and... It has inspired every horror filmmaker today since its release.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, big time. Even um, things that you see in uh, non-horror movies that take references from The Shining. Right. Well, there's one in general, uh, Rocco's Modern Life, when um, Heffer takes the job on Conglamo as a security guard, and he's patrolling the hallways, and he sees two twin uh, animals there. (laughs) <laughs> and because heifer's on a, a bicycle going through through the hallways and sees twins right there mm-hmm. uh taking it from danny when he sees the twin girls in the hallway like come play with the danny mm-hmm.
0: oh creepy. yes
1: but with heifer
0: <laughs> it, yeah that the fact that it was in a
1: cartoon yeah that it was in the cartoon another one is you know the song that is being played especially in the end of the movie uh that, um, the music yes the music it was even being played in Toy Story 4 Then with Woody and Forky. They're in the antique store. They're in the the stroller with Gabby Gabby and uh-huh. the record is playing and it's playing a song. You know, it's funny about that when playing, I started laughing like, oh my gosh, and you didn't get it. Oh,
0: right. I remember You now. didn't get it. Mm-hmm. And then
1: I was telling you that this is from The Shining and you're like, what? What? <laughs> yes. You know? yeah.
0: well, I mean, it gave <laughs> because
1: it. Because the song sounds nice, but it was in a horror movie, a creepy horror movie. It's
0: like some weird old granny music, but it's really like malicious. <laughs> yes. yes. That's the irony of it. So, of course, back to The Shining. Uh, of course, we know the widely known director, Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone knows that he was obsessed and, he was like meticulous oh, yes. with he, like his attention to detail.
1: Yes, he was very very strict on his shots. He was he didn't care uh, what the budget was. He didn't care about the schedule. He wanted his shots. He needed his vision
0: to look a certain way. To look a
1: certain way. Mm. Besides The Shining, when he did Full Metal Jacket, even Marines to this day that seen the movie when military people watch uh, a military movie they try to examine like is this exactly like it was when i was in the service but when it came to stanley kubrick's full metal jacket it was it a lot of marines were saying that that is exactly what training was in the marines even after vietnam the training was still like that because even my father Joined the Marines, and exactly what Stanley Cooper put into that movie was just like the Marines. Like his,
0: your dad's experience. Yes, his
1: experience mm. of how they treat you, how hard they were. Mm-hmm. But even though some people said, like, oh, it's just a movie. Arlie Ermey was acting in that movie. No, he was acting, but no, he was being him.
0: I'm assuming he he wanted it to portray real life. He wanted it to to be authentic.
1: Kubrick wanted authenticity in his movies. He wanted the real deal. Originally, for that movie, Kubrick didn't want Arlie Ermey. He had him as an assistant to train this guy to be a drill instructor. But Arlie Ermey was like, let me play the part. Because I don't need to act. I did this. He
0: remembered, yeah. Yeah,
1: so when he did that... That's what Kubrick does, is that Kubrick wants realism into his films as well. And what he did to The Shining was he did whatever it took to make that movie look really good, especially when it came to Shelley Duvall.
0: Yes, and it's widely known that, the, that Stanley Kubrick was obsessed. You know, He was meticulous with his attention to detail. Every scene in this movie had a purpose and was planned to perfection, including Shelley Duvall's um, exhausting 127 takes to perfect the staircase scene with Jack Nicholson.
1: Yeah, I heard that he really stressed her out. Um, Not just in that scene, but multiple scenes. They said that she was exhausted all the time. She was drained. Mm-hmm. and kubrick didn't hold back on her
0: right i mean i later on after the movie was released and Shelley had interviews she said that this was like the hardest role uh, job that she ever took I, I could assume that she wasn't happy on set because of yes. everything that you know she went through yeah. trying to perfect this yeah. character for, for yes. the director you have to have fear and i think she was i think she had real fear oh. after so many takes you have real fear
1: oh yeah I he, we saw it, you know. We did see it.
0: Absolutely, but well, that's what made this movie so perfect. This his obsession with perfection that this scene had to look a certain way, you know. Mm-hmm. And and the whole movie like you've mentioned to me before, it's so fluid. Mm-hmm. Right? But we know that not all is perfect in the movie, of course. Oh, of
1: course not. Yeah,
0: do you want to hear some of the inconsistencies that I found?
1: Oh yeah, tell me cuz usually I have them, but if you have some, blow my mind. <laughs> <Go> <laughs> okay.
0: For it. I'll try. Um, so during that iconic staircase scene, right, when <laughs> Shelly is, like, uh, waving around the bat and she hits Jack with a bat, you can see that the bat bends. You can tell that it's a rubber bat. What? Yeah, like, if you pay attention, like...
1: Oh, my God, I'm going to have to look at that. I was just watching it, and now I have to see that.
0: Right, but, like, this goes back to Shelly's experience. She was so fearful that we only focused on her face, mm-hmm. you know, and, and her expressions and her actions of how like traumatic that scene was for her. We didn't even notice this bat that like bent in half, you know? Yeah. Um, another thing in that same scene, um, when you see Jack coming up the stairs, yes. um, there's, a, there's a bearskin rug in front of a fireplace. Mm-hmm. It disappears and then it reappears again.
1: Oh, wow. I would never noticed that.
0: Um, another one is when Danny uh, wrote on the door, he wrote, Red Rum on the door. Right? Hmm. Later on, when Jack goes into that room and he chops down the door, the writing is gone. It's like, not there anymore. Who cleaned it? Not Danny.
1: Not <laughs> right? Danny. Yeah. Wow. Little miss uh, misses there, here and there. Wow. Yeah,
0: like, the inconsistencies. But, yeah. You know, but you can't tell. But, And that's just a few of them. And this movie was so long. And Kirby, Kerber, he, Kerber, he demanded so many takes that there's a lot of inconsistencies like this yes, throughout be, the movie. Yeah,
1: because I know if they wouldn't get certain takes in one day, they would just okay, wrap it up for today. We're going to continue tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But of course, they have their people to clean up the set and then, of course, set it up again. But they miss some things here and there.
0: Right, right. And
1: there's this uh, concept, like editor Michael Kahn, he's one of Spielberg's editors, that sometimes when you edit, you're going to catch little mistakes like that. But because of the flow of the actors, it... Drives our minds focusing on the actors, than the setting. And for example, like Michael Kahn, yeah. Jurassic Park. Yeah. When they're on the table eating while Dr. Hammond is talking to them. That how is it that their arms and stuff, like one's in one position, the next take his arms down. Right. Or the camera angles in the different position where, wait a minute, isn't what's his name sitting there? Or how... I thought this table looks weird. How right, the, yes.
0: That scene is iconic for having so many inconsistencies, but no one could tell because the dialogue, the conversation was and, so
1: rich. Yeah, and everybody was just so focused on those conversations and the the interaction of the actors right. that nobody focused on that.
0: Yeah, no one could tell, Yeah. which yeah. is amazing.
1: Yeah, and what's funny about the whole red rum, when Danny goes, red rum, right? Yeah. I was at the point of like, what if Shelly was just like, Danny, you're too young for rum. <laughs> and plus, it doesn't come red. <laughs>
0: oh, gosh. Uh, leave it to you to find humor in horror. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So, uh, also, uh, let's get back to the scenes. Um, so, like I mentioned earlier, you know, in this movie, every scene has a purpose.
1: Oh, yes. Stanley Kubrick had a lot of symmetrical shots. So, you would always see the actor in the center of his shots in a hallway or a room, but what I mean by symmetry is that one side of the room it looks exactly like the other side of the room. They call it like a, a box frame shot, so the actor is in the center and he's in a frame within a frame.
0: So he's he's known for this symmetric like yes. the symmetry, right? Symmetry
1: and symmetry within a long take.
0: Long takes, that's another thing, that he has this ability to do long shots, right? Long takes. Which is really stressful on the actors, I'm sure, as well.
1: Yes, because long takes, these actors have to be really trained on their dialogue and their emotions and their pretty much their whole acting skills because Kubrick was the type that this is going to be a long take. Okay. And the thing is, it's up to the actors to keep performing. Just keep it fluent because... This is a long take, and you can't works, mess up. And you can't mess up because how long were some of those scenes where they're socializing without the shot, take, changing position, or panning to another actor?
0: I mean, yeah, I feel like they go. It almost feels like you're in the movie because there's no cut scenes.
1: Yes, because technically, it's like saying we're in sitting in the back while they're all socializing.
0: Like in in quote unquote real time, in so to real speak. Time, yes. Got it. So it's like a long okay. Well, yeah, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And you know, back to the shining. The location we know for the entire movie is basically this hotel. Although the hotel is large, uh, we revisit a lot of the same locations multiple times all throughout the movie and each time we see this location something gorier and gorier is is happening and this is done on purpose because we feel like we've been here already Mm -hmm. but now it's different and it's almost like he's been giving us clues all throughout the movie leading up to these big bad scenes
1: oh yeah yeah because even in the beginning of the movie the the blood coming out of the elevator we didn't see that really happening until shelly Duvall is trying to escape from these ghosts and then she gets to the floor and next thing you know it actually happens
0: right or also um the maze scene we see in the in towards the beginning of the movie or in the middle of the movie we see wendy and danny going through the maze i mean how are we supposed to know that that maze is going to be iconic to the ending of the film right stanley kubrick gave us that sneak peek like oh this maze is going to be a big deal later but we had no idea when we first saw it
1: Yeah, we didn't. We just thought it was just a gigantic maze.
0: That's what's so fascinating about his movie style.
1: Yeah, cinematography. Correct. Skills.
0: So let's think about this. The Shining is a great movie, but it's also a very confusing movie.
1: Oh, yes, it it does. Because people look at the horror, but then it's like there's puzzles to this movie. Yeah. Even I get confused when Jack is socializing with Mr. Grady. And Mr. Grady is supposed to be dead. He was the last caretaker Who killed his family and Mm -hmm. killed himself and they try to say it was Kevin Feber right Uh and when the character Jack he gets his drink and these all these people are there this waiter bumps into him and spills drink on him and they go to the bathroom and when they're in the bathroom he tells them why they call you he's like Grady and he's like Grady like I I know who you are I seen you in the papers you killed your family And then you put a gun in your mouth. And Mr. Grady was confused, lost, like, I beg your pardon?
0: And that's confusing to the viewer because suddenly there's a whole bunch of people in the hotel, but they're supposed to be alone?
1: Yeah, and the thing was, when he told him that, then all of a sudden he starts talking about his family. And it's like, now he knows his family. And then finally he admits that he kills his family. But he said, like, my daughters tried to burn down this hotel, and I corrected them. And then my wife tried to stop me, and I corrected her too. But at the moment when Jack said you killed your family, this and that, he was confused at first, and now he, he pretty ad- much admits it. Admits
0: it, yeah. Yes,
1: and that's where I'm like, what?
0: Yeah, like how did that come? That, I felt like that conversation went around in a circle, and it didn't leave anything for us to grasp at. It was very bizarre, but. Another thing that I was really confused about is The Shining itself. I know the movie is called The Shining, but what exactly is The Shining?
1: Pretty much what everybody who's seen it, they go by the conversation with the head chef, Mr. Uh, Mr. Holleran, and he was talking to Danny. And when he was talking to Danny and saying that, you know how I know your nickname, Doc. You, It's pretty much him saying that I know you have this gift because I can feel it. Mm-hmm. And you can feel mine too. Right. Me and my grandmother used to talk to each other without even opening our mouths. Danny yeah. started understanding that okay, he has something, similar so Danny would open up to him. Right. Because because I think Mister Holland knew that Danny was going to be in trouble maybe, and he had the same gift as him. And it's pretty much him saying, "Signal me if something happens."
0: Right. Right. Because
1: we're we're connected.
0: Right, and they're connected. And so this connection essentially is the ability to read minds and uh, communicate telepathically with other people. But also, um, I'm not sure if Mr. Halliburton also has this, but Danny has the disturbing visions, you know,
1: the prophecies that he sees. He probably didn't have the greatest compared to Danny. So like, think about level of those powers. Like, he probably has basic and Danny has more. Mm, Yeah. So that's probably just a random guess.
0: Right, I mean, yeah, that's hard. Like I said, this movie is so confusing. It gives, it leaves us with so many questions questions that what how many years has it been we're still talking about like what this shining even is
1: 42 years (laughs) yeah
0: exactly so the entire movie revolves around danny's abilities but jack nicholson's character is the main star of the movie as everything that is sinister and that makes this horror film so terrifying is happening to him and we see it happening to him yeah but because you know danny now has this shining gift he and his mom essentially you know get out of that
1: situation Danny signals Mr. Holland to come, which is why Holland was calling Colorado to, hey, can you contact them? Yeah, like a welfare check. And when because they didn't answer, he already knew something. Okay, this vision is true. I need to get to Denver.
0: Right, which leads me back to him not having the same strength in his power as Danny did because... When he went back, you'd think he would have prophesied his own murder. Or he yes. would have seen it coming, oh, right? Yes. But he didn't. He was like blindsided by yeah. it. Yeah. And I want to point out how openly ambiguous, again, this ending is. Kubrick gave us nothing in terms of an explanation. Like, did the hotel kill the previous family? Like, were they all possessed? Was this just cabin fever? Like, why are all the dead people trapped in 1920? What happened we, then? Yes. It's like, we don't even know what exactly yes, happened.
1: Yeah, even the murder.
0: The previous murder didn't even happen in the 20s, but we see his ghost in the 20s. There's no explanation for that.
1: Yeah, there isn't. It just says 1921, July 4th, and they're there.
0: But did you know that the the movie actually had an alternate ending?
1: Wow. No, actually, I did not.
0: Okay, so I just found this out um, when doing research for the podcast. Um, In the original cut of The Shining, um, the ending included a hospital scene where we see Danny and his mom, Wendy, And that they're told that jack's body is nowhere to be found on the hotel grounds Mm. so that it gives us a little more um than you know the the ending that that we see that would
1: sound more freakier
0: it would sound freakier and this took away the safe feeling of the audience when we think that you know jack's character is, is frozen to death in the snow and so he can't like cause any more harm to society but that ending was like oh no is he still around they cut that scene out instead, and they left that photo at the end of the movie because now we're still confused. It doesn't. It doesn't help. Yes. It's either ending both of them, don't make sense, and we don't have answers.
1: See, Danny knew things were going to happen, but Jack started seeing things as soon as he went to the bar, and he acted like he knew people already. He knew the bartender Lloyd, and that gets us like, huh? How does he know Lloyd? Some people think. Jack was probably a reincarnation from somebody that was there back in the 1920s. Okay. Or another one is the hotel took him in, just like they took Mr. Grady. The the hotel, when they died, the hotel took him, and now they're trapped with the hotel. You know why the hotel was haunted, right? No, I don't. So in the movie, they said that the hotel was built over here for the scenery, but it was built by close by Indian burial ground.
0: Oh, right. Yes, I did know that. Part. Yes.
1: So, but didn't say that was it built on Indian burial ground, but it was built near.
0: That's part of the ambiguity. We still, okay, so does it have something to do with it or doesn't it? Was yes, it built because, above it or near it? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and those spirits that they say protect our, our bodies, but if they're being tampered with, the spirits will push away those whoever's disturbing their rest right right yes that's yeah. why um i want to make sure if i'm living in a house there's nobody buried underneath
0: right because
1: <laughs> yeah. either people summon these things or they're being these homes are being built ground yeah, over a resting place of a resting place that should be respected yes and this is something that i have to bring up why was it that the room 237 was picked
0: i know this this has to do with the, the original author stephen king <laughs> and his inspiration right
1: yes Years ago, Stephen King and his wife were the only guests at this hotel in Colorado. The the hotel was open, of course.
0: Like they had their staff.
1: They had their but the staff was still there. Mm -hmm. It was snowing, but Stephen King and his wife were the only guests in the hotel, which made it freaky for them. And the room they stood at was 237.
0: Oh, and that's the haunted room in the Shining? Yeah,
1: and I guess... That room actually is haunted because a fellow podcaster...
0: Uh, Oh, yeah. It was mentioned on Shane Dawson's uh, YouTube show, actually. Yeah, because
1: he did a video where him and his family actually stood at that room. Right. And things were happening in there.
0: Yeah, they filmed and they set up things to see if they can catch any paranormal activity, and they did.
1: Yeah, they did. They found, like,
0: orbs and stuff. Yeah.
1: Yes. And think about it. Stephen King was there, and this is what gave him the idea of The Shining.
0: And, you know, it is uh, known that Stephen King pulls a lot from his own reality, like real life events. Like uh, a lot of his books are from nightmares from his childhood Mm -hmm. that he, you know, openly talks about. And so it's totally believable that he'll take a real life experience and make a horror movie out of it. Yeah. A horror book.
1: Yes. Even though the film was shot in Oregon, but it was based in Colorado. So the actual hotel, that's not it. That in the movie, that's not it. Okay, that's it just, was
0: it was inspired from it. It
1: was inspired from it. Got it. The, the real hotels in Colorado. Okay, got yes.
0: it. Fascinating. Yeah, it
1: is. It's very fascinating. Uh, right. You
0: would think that Jack Nicholson would have you know picked up on some of that inspiration, but like Stephen King, but he, clearly he wasn't good enough.
1: Yeah. <laughs> with all his yeah. writer's block, and, right? <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, Stephen King actually did not like the movie The Shining.
0: He didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah,
1: he did not like it because. Hollywood alternates uh, a book.
0: Well, yeah, they do that too they do it,
1: but Stanley Kubrick alternated in his version, so he took some pieces here and took some of his ideas and put together and it made the story different than Stephen King's book, even though the movie was really, really good.
0: It was different. It was movie. different, okay, yes. Oh, yes, you're right. So in the book, actually, when we see Jack chasing Danny, Jack actually comes to, he kind of, he comes back to himself Mm -hmm. for a brief moment. And he realizes kind of what's going on. And he tells Danny, like, run, get out of here. He's like, I I have no control over what's happening to me. Please run away. And um, another thing that's different is um, uh, Mr. Hollerin doesn't die in the book. Mm -hmm. He is, uh, he remains alive to comfort Danny um, at the end, yeah, so those are like two main differences from yep. the book. So I understand why Stephen King might not have liked that, you know, the director cut those things out. They seem vital to the, the storyline.
1: No. Do you
0: know how Jack dies in the book? Uh, no. Uh, the boiler explodes. That's how he kills him. See, so,
1: I think that's how the the hotel burns down, I believe.
0: Yes, it makes sense now. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, I, I again, I understand why Stephen King might not have been uh, totally happy with all the changes that Kubrick made. But the movie itself is genius. It's inspired so many other horror films, and it's iconic. You know and what? It you re- said, uh, Do you know what it reminds me of? What? It reminds me of Get Out. Oh. Yeah. So Jordan Peele. I'll say this quickly. You know, Jordan Peele, uh, the director of the wildly successful two thousand and seventeen film that let me tell you had only a budget of four point five million dollars, and it ended. It ended up turning around and, and profiting. Two hundred and twenty-five million worldwide. Wow! Can you imagine? I mean, this is wow. this was an excellent film. Yeah. yeah. But the director Jordan Peele took a lot of inspiration from a lot of different horror horror films, and one of them being The Shining by way of its imagery. Like you said, there's a lot of really good uh, continuation shots. There's a lot of symmetrical shots. There's and there's also secret shots. A great example of this is when Stanley Kubrick um had Danny write red rum on the door. The first time someone sees this movie, you have no idea what red rum stands for, but later you find out it means murder. That's him predicting or that's him letting us know what's going to come next in the movie. And Jordan Peele took this idea and did a similar thing in Get Out where he has different clues in the movie, you watch the movie and you get clues in the movie that you're not even you don't you're not even aware that you're getting told what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Okay? Other similarities include uh, a, a good example of this is the tour of the hotel and the tour of the house that um, the character chris and jordan peele's movie they get a tour of the mm-hmm. location essentially the premises during this tour before you even see the rest of the movie you see all the locations of all the incidences that are going to happen all the bad and ugly things that happen you see them on this tour and you get to kind of revisit them when these scenes go go through mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the reason they do this is because after you finish the movie you're like oh my gosh that, that makes sense. I knew that was going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So And that's really smart.
1: Wow, I didn't think about it that way. Yeah. That was a good short little refund. Get out he did a really good job on that movie, too. I made that laugh in that movie. When the mosquito's flying or a bug is flying, it's like... And then as soon as you hear that... And I just said in the movie theater... Did he get it? Yeah, and <laughs> Nat started laughing. Some people started laughing too. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> okay. So we got two more topics and then we will conclude. So second to last topic, we're gonna throw a funny one out. Young Frankenstein.
0: Oh, that's a good one.
1: Nineteen seventy four Mel Brooks movie. So I used to watch this movie a lot, but I introduced this movie to Nat and this is when she first realized that Gene Wilder was in other movies besides Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I had only known Gene Wilder from Willy Wonka.
1: Gene Wilder uh, was part of the Mel Brooks uh, cast. And he's done other movies with other projects, mostly with Richard Pryor. But um, Mel Brooks had this cast similar to Adam Sandler's where it says friends or the same actors, and they're always in these movies. Together, yeah. They're always in these movies together. And Young Frankenstein is one of them. So, of course, you have Gene Wilder, right? Then you have Peter Boyle, and we all know him from Everybody Loves Raymond. He's the, the dad. Da- he's the, well, not the dad, the grandfather. Well, the, he's Raymond's dad. Well, he's Raymond's dad. Mm-hmm. And then you have Marty Philman. Uh, you didn't know who he was, no. but he's Igor. Then you have other actresses like Terry Carr and Madeline Kahn. She's a good actress. Uh, well, an actress. A comedian. A really good comedian. She's been in a lot of Mel Brooks movies. And the actually, actually, there's actually a big actor in that movie when he was just starting out. Who is it? Gene Hackman.
0: Gene Hackman?
1: Yeah. So, the blind man. Oh. The blind man, That uh, he's like, oh, I want as a friend. And <laughs> the monster comes in. <laughs> yeah. And he's just... Because he's blind, so he doesn't know what he's 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 pouring. He doesn't know his monster, but that's Gene Hackman. Okay. This movie uh, cost two point seventy eight million dollars to make, and and generated eighty six million.
0: Oh wow. That's yes, good. that's a lot. Mm-hmm. I, um, when was when was it created again? What year did the, the movie 1974. Called? Oh, for 1974, yes. That's
1: a fair amount yes. of money. And of course, like you said, this movie was a...
0: Well, this movie was a, a satire of the original Frankenstein, Yeah, the right?
1: Frankenstein, the 1931 Boris Karloff, which mm-hmm. we mentioned in the previous show. So this is, the of course, the parody of it. Mm-hmm. And this movie was actually selected to the Library of Congress National Film Registry.
0: Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, it's
1: very interesting. And then, of course, it was also nominated for best sound and screenplay for the Oscars. Of course, it they did not win, but yeah. it's no Mel But here's another Phil factor you'll love, Phil facts. So you remember when they're in the the train station and he's like Doctor Frankenstein, and he's like, he's like, here, master, let me take your suitcase. And mm-hmm. instead of taking the big one, he takes a small one, right? Right. And he's like, you know, mm-hmm. I mean? he's like. Walk this way. And then he's going down the stairs with this little cane. And then he gives it to um, Dr. Frank, like, well, Frankenstein. Frankenstein, yeah. And then he's doing the same thing. And he's like, why am I doing this? <laughs> but because he said, walk this way. It inspired Aerosmith. Aerosmith? Aerosmith
0: inspired them to, to, to walk
1: the, write the song walk this way
0: oh okay yeah that's cool it's pretty cool huh yeah that's really cool
1: yeah it's, it's funny
0: because he, he took the instruction literally and not like yeah. in a directional yeah. sense
1: so of course the movie is he goes to Transylvania because his grandfather you know made a monster and had all this information in his will that when he passed away and he wanted to give it to his grandson, and it's funny because Igor's like, "Your grandfather, and my grandfather, worked together." Oh, okay. <laughs> oh yeah, oh right? yeah, 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 yeah. Because he's making a reference back to the original movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, right. And it's funny because he has a, a lab assistant, which is Terry Carr, okay. and she's a very attractive woman. She's goofy,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: they're sitting in the hay, going to the castle. And what's funny is that you're a wolf and you're werewolf. Werewolf. There wolf. What? They're wolf, They're castle. Why are you talking like that? Don't you want me to? No. Sit yourself. I'm easy. I'm easy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's right. like it's like you don't want me to talk. like that? It's funny because the
0: movie addresses that trope. The this the original character spoke in such a way that was weird, yeah. and it, the fact that this movie this parody was making fun of that it was, it was pretty he's great.
1: Like, you don't want like it's like you don't want me to talk like that. No. <laughs> oh my God, Igor. Yeah. So like the name he's like Igor's like I before Igor because uh, he was messing with Frankenstein because he's like Frank- it was Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Uh-huh. And I'm like so it's like your name's Frederick so it's not. It's Fodwick no it's Frederick Frederick, so, you know because mm-hmm. he's, his name he's pregnant announcing Frankenstein Frankenstein yeah right so of course they go to the castle right and um, the woman who's in the castle her name is Fabruca and every time they say her name the horses go wild. Yeah, like, why so are the like, horses... I, uh, yeah, it's like, I'm from a buka and you're... And the, the horses... And it's funny, Gene Wilder's like, what's gone into
0: them? <laughs> it's funny how this movie addresses all those weird little yeah moments, yeah.
1: Yes, yeah, so you know, it gets to, like, the most interesting things is that, you know, these three, the... Igor, Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein, and his assistant, Mm -hmm. they're, you know, all three of them are on in this scenario together to create the monster, right? Mm -hmm. So after they create this monster, all the whole process of creating the monster, all these funny things are happening with, and you see the reference of, the original frankenstein right. where um they dig up the body and they're trying to take it back to the castle and then it breaks and they put it up and the inspector he the one with the wooden arm so that reference of the inspector with the wooden arm came from the third frankenstein movie uh, it's called the son of frankenstein oh it's still boris karloff is still the monster but it's based on the doctor's son oh, okay and the doctor's son is smart too but then There's this inspector in Transylvania or whatever, no, whatever town um, it's taking place. And the inspector has a wooden arm. Oh, okay. So that's where they take that part. So they took some things from each of the Frankenstein movies. Got it. So this one inspector comes up to Frankenstein when they drop the coffin. And he's like, oh, who are you? Look, I'm Frankenstein. Oh, I heard you were coming. This and that. And the thing was the hand was sticking out of the dead body. And... His arm, he he went to the side and the hand was sticking out like it, it was his hand. Oh, right. And he's like, "Here, shake. And he goes like this, starts shaking. Mm-hmm. He's like, my gosh, your hands are cold and stiff. Because <laughs> it's a dead body. Uh, well, he's shaking hands with a corpse. Like, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, he lets him go. And, of course, they're doing the science stuff of bringing back the mm-hmm. monster, right? Right. And, but the thing is, he needs a brain. Right. And he, he asks Igor to go to this place to get a brain, and he wants the brain, um, Hans Delbruck.
0: So he wants the specific brain that belongs Han- to Hans, Hans Delbruck.
1: Delbruck. who, in the history books, he's actually a historian in the 1800s, to early 19, okay. so he was like a historian. Okay. Yeah, and of course, he picks up the brain, just like the uh, old Frankenstein, and something makes him drop the brain. I think it was lightning, he's like, ah, oh, he drops it, and then he grabs the other brain, which is abnormal. And then they put in the monster. It doesn't come alive right away. So they knew they failed. And when it does come alive, when well, they're eating it, like, mmm. it's like, yeah, it's pretty good, huh? Mm-hmm. That wasn't me. Wasn't it you that made that hum sound? Uh, mmm. There it was again. Was that you? No. He's like, no. And they're all quiet, like, wait. And it's alive. Yeah, they realize and it's the it's monster. Al- the monster's alive. Mm-hmm. And he's teaching them how to walk, kind of like the old Frankenstein. <laughs> Igor wants to light a cigarette. <laughs> And when the flame goes on, and the fra- the monster gets so scared of the flames, Aah! he starts choking. with <laughs> yeah. Frankenstein, and he's like trying. To- <laughs> he's, oh right. This is where he tries to do. Um,
0: oh, oh, okay. So the monster is choking Dr. Frankenstein. So in order for Frankenstein to communicate with Igor, uh, he has to play charades. Yeah, charades yeah, yeah. is like
1: wait, wait. I know this game. Okay, <laughs> three syllables.
0: Yeah. One word. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like.
1: Sounds like. <laughs> Sir, give. Give yeah. yeah he's yeah. trying
0: he's trying to uh do the word yeah. sedative
1: sedative yeah sedative mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it gets to the word where Igor goes give him a seda gift. and then he goes like,
0: like I know yeah. Frankenstein is being choked out by this monster and because Igor can't guess the the charades for for sedative uh Frank Doctor Frankenstein looks at the monster like do you uh, do you believe this is happening it's like
1: <laughs> even though he's choking he's choking <laughs> him out yeah and mm-hmm. then when he gets off him he's like. I said (laughs) again. And then he he sits down and they're like, Hey, Igor, come here for a minute. I need the truth. I will not get angry.
0: Mm
1: With that brain you got, was it Hans Delbruck? No. He's like, Okay, I knew it. So whose brain is in there? Abby. Abby. Abby, normal. Abby, normal. Are you telling me I put an abnormal brain? And the seven foot, you know, your <laughs> and he starts choking right. and ch- <laughs> choking. And Igor does the same thing too. And yeah, then he starts um, to play charade. Sure yeah. Storage, yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, and then of course the door knocks and, mm-hmm. uh, oh, this one made you crack hard. Yeah, I remember how hard you were laughing when you saw so the door knock.
0: Uh, yeah, so he's wearing like a, a tie, right? Yeah. So after he's been choked out by this monster and now they suddenly hear a, a knock on the door they realize that they have to remain quiet. So he's like, guys, we have to remain completely normal. But in that moment, his tie pops and the way it flungs open, it's so funny. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was just so good timing. Right. It, did you know the actor who played Igor, which was, like I told you, right, Marty Feldman, mm-hmm. he actually moved the hump. in the uh, Yeah, he actually moved the hump because first it was on one side, oh. and then it was on the <laughs> other side. And the, this is true. It was actually in the movie that he actually moved it on purpose, mm. and nobody noticed it except for a few people, and it played out well. So when Gene Wilder's like, wait a minute, wasn't that on, wasn't your...
0: On the, yeah, he's oh, like never mind. he addresses he's... it right, but it's like it's it's essentially a continuity error in the movie, but it played along well because the movie itself was a parody, anyways.
1: The truth is that e. Feldman actually moved the hump himself until someone on the set noticed it, right? Only one, maybe a few people noticed it, but not many people noticed it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, there was so much stuff going on in that movie. It's kind of hard to tell because you're just kind of thrown off by so many things. It's so funny to watch.
1: And that whole movie is just funny, you know. It's it's just. A good Mel Brooks classic. Yes,
0: that's and, a classic.
1: And unfortunately, majority of the cast has passed away, and except, for, except for Terry. It's just her and Mel Brooks. Yeah, Mel Brooks. And how old is Mel Brooks now? He's like 90. 90s. And oh my god, like, it's just sad because like, all those comedians that he worked with, been around with, and they're all gone. And all his friends. All yeah. his friends are gone.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's
1: the only one. Him and they're the only ones left.
0: yeah that's so it goes as they say yeah
1: so now i know this is the long segment of the series and this is the last we save the best to last like we said if you guys just send us something we will talk about it so i have um a shout out for somebody who wanted me to do a marvel marvel is a big deal in hollywood these days but let me ask you guys this question What made Marvel big? What gave Marvel that edge?
0: I don't know too much about Marvel, but I would say the Spider-Man movies because that's where it got really, really popular for me. So
1: you fell for the old Gen Z (laughs) mistake. Hey. So because of Spider-Man. Yeah, Tobey Maguire. I understand. There was a TikTok I saw. It said that Spider-Man and X-Men were the reasons why Marvel is big. Well, that is 100% 100% completely false. Fill with the facts. So, this Marvel topic is a classic and it came out in '98. We know it as Blade. Okay, Blade. So, Blade is a superhero horror movie based on Marvel Comics. It starred Wesley Snipes, Stephen Dorff, Christopherson, and Bush Wright. Okay. So Blade, he's a half vampire and half human. The reason this happened to him, his mother was bitten by a vampire while she was in labor. Oh. So the bite of the vampire transforms its victims. But during that time, she was pregnant and giving birth that she was bitten. Well, in labor, getting the blood cells of Blade turned into uh, a half breed is what they call it. But with unique abilities. Like to have the human capability of being out in the day.
0: Oh, okay. So because he was half human he can be out in the daylight. And maybe yes. was he um, allergic to garlic or No, he, no? he oh, okay. so
1: he had the, the resistance of every vampire weakness. Okay. But he had the vampire strength and unfortunately the thirst. Oh for blood okay. the thing with blade is that he was a superhero It's like why isn't he just side with the vampires if he's also a half vampire mm-hmm. well blade hunts down vampires even though he is half vampire is because he wants to hunt down the vampire that killed his mother and made him the way he is oh i mean because it's like a curse for him that he has to go through this issue but he has these uh, abilities to stop them he has their strength and abilities. Plus, he's much stronger than most of them because the human part is also unique for him as well. Okay. Where does Blade originally come from in the Marvel comic? He came out in 1974. And he was created by Marv Wolfren and Gene Cullen. He was a supporting character to the Tomb of Dracula comics. So, Marvel had a horror comic series based for Dracula. In the comics, Blade... Has skills and weapons. He wasn't. He was a half breed, but he his abilities of uh, the vampire abilities didn't come in until he was bitten by an, another Marvel character that's well known. Who's that? Morbius. Morbius.
0: Okay.
1: Yes, and when he bites Blade, mm-hmm. it enhances his skills to inc- his vampire skills to develop because okay. he didn't have his own comic series he had little pages he had little stories Oh, he was a supporting character, he was a supporting so, character. but we
0: didn't get his origin story or uh, his true origin story in the comics were in the comic books doesn't include that he, his he mother? Not, no
1: it's still the same like, it's pretty much the same as the movie. So before Disney buying Marvel, Disney had no interest in Marvel back then no of course you know why right? There was this war between DC and Marvel and DC was kicking Marvel left to right. Back in those days. Yeah, Marvel so was not it. Marvel was not it. And I showed you all those. And you thought that, my God, do you call that Iron Man? That looks like a gigantic rocket ship. Yeah. It was or like, um, Thor, his outfit looks so terrible.
0: I mean, it was, it was semi-true to
1: what it yeah, was it's supposed semi-true. to. Yeah,
0: semi-true. But it just very poorly done. It was just yeah, the, the costume design was very bad. Yes, because
1: Marvel back in those days did more shows than they did movies. And the only show that I believe did really well was The Incredible Hulk. Right,
0: yeah, but all this, the setting and the costumes that you and some of the other actors just were not that good. Yeah,
1: they were not. They, mm-hmm. it, this was like, I never heard of these actors, but I, we all know Lou mm-hmm. because he was a competition to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, right, right. Yeah, so he was always second place. He was always second best to Arnold, mm-hmm. right? That's where Marvel was struggling back in those days. And DC, they came up with Superman, Christopher Reeves. Yeah. Really good movie back in those days. Amazing and classic, It was yeah. And then the 80s, Batman started rolling in. Oh, of course. The Tim Burton Batman, you know. And the next thing you know, the DC characters started becoming so big that they started appearing at Six Flags Magic Mountain now. Right. Now rides are named after the DC comics. Yeah. Yeah. So you got the Batman ride, Wonder Woman, uh, Superman, sure. all of these rides. Right? And Marvel did not have anything. So this is how we lead to Blake. Because Marvel was going through so much, they were going to go bankrupt.
0: So Marvel couldn't keep up with DC.
1: That they were going to file for bankruptcy because they tried to do what DC did was to make movies out of their comics, such as Howard the Duck. I don't think you know that one. But it was really cheesy in the, they call it a flip-flop
0: movie. Mm -hmm. And
1: then they tried to do the Fantastic Four. It was terrible. Oh, okay. They were terrible. It was like the outfits were cheesy, the actors were cheesy. They couldn't get those good actors or good makeup artists back in those days before CGI.
0: But superhero movies, it's like you need CGI. You yeah. need that extra yeah. effect. But yeah.
1: Batman didn't really need it. And look how good it was.
0: I agree. But remember, Batman is just a regular guy with a lot of money and a weird yeah. mask. Yeah. And so, then and the Superman. But the graphics for, for Superman were, were pretty good for the yeah. uh, for the era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the way yeah. they made him fly. It, it looked halfway yeah. decent for the era it yeah. was made in.
1: So... This is where the development of Blade turning into a movie. Mm-hmm. So I had a feeling, I'm not 100% sure about this because I haven't seen anything about it, but I think they picked Blade because it wasn't a big thing for Marvel, even though it was part of Marvel. It wasn't a big thing compared to like Spider-Man or Iron Man during that time. Marvel was already filing bankruptcy because mm-hmm. of these movies and these shows. Like They, they were getting spanked by DC. Mm-hmm. Well, New Line Cinema, Bought the rights to Marvel Comics for Blade. Okay. So that was their little sign of hope for them. Like, oh, somebody wants to do a movie off this little uh, story we did. Like, okay, well, we need the money. You know, we're struggling. Mm -hmm. You know, let's do it. Right? Rapper LL Cool J heard about Blade because Blade we know as the first African-American superhero to Marvel. So this is another Gen Z mistake. That I see. Gen Z makes the statement that, that the first African-American superhero to Marvel was Black Panther. Yeah, that is which, incorrect. That is incorrect. Mm-hmm. Or the first Reddit R movie to Marvel was Deadpool. That is also incorrect. It was Blade. Wow. Right? Mm-hmm. Blade had both of them. The reason why, it's like I say this, I think people were too busy watching the movie but not reading the credits. Because the credits clearly say that... Created by Marvel, the writer wanted to give those creators of Blade the credit as well because they created this character. Right, right. Which was, we mentioned before, Marvin Jean, Mm -hmm. right? So the studios didn't want an African-American actor. Of course, it goes back to uh, discrimination of, oh, it has to be a white man. Yeah. But the writer was like, no, we need to keep it authentic. We need to keep it this way. So they agreed They wanted to find a perfect African-American man to cast. They were looking at Denzel Washington, Lawrence Fishburne.
0: They were big names then. But
1: there was a movie, a Marvel movie that was going to be made, but it failed, which was Black Panther. Black Panther was supposed to come out in 92, 93. Oh, wow. But because of the whole fail of the Marvel productions. They didn't move forward. But they casted one actor, Wesley Snipes. Ah, Wesley Snipes. So Wesley Snipes was offered, I guess, a role with the original Black Panther, but it failed, and now he was like, Hey, wait a minute. This guy he would be fits, perfect. He fits the he character? He fits the character. Okay. Like, I know he can be, he, he's funny movies and he's kind of loud. But what if we made him, like, deep throat and just, like, serious? Yeah. And what was best about Wesley Snipes is he was a martial artist, meaning that it made it easier for the choreography and stunt coordinations to the, the movie. Okay. And that's why I like about movies that use real martial artists. They know how to perform stunts really well.
0: Well, they know how the body would react to getting hit in certain ways. Yeah,
1: because you studied me on Kemple. That's pretty much knowledge that you learned from me.
0: Yeah, because my husband, I watch my husband get beat up a lot, and I know how he reacts. And I also see oh. him beat up other people and how they react. Right? Yeah,
1: so and that's better to cast, especially an actor who knows martial arts. Yeah, that's that's the best choice to go because then that saves the studio money from like hiring a stunt coordinator to show like Denzel Washington do this or Lawrence Fishburne do this. You know? Yeah. They just went with Wesley Snipes. Right? So, of course, we know that Blade has to come after this boss. Well, his boss is his main villain, which is the blood god. Well, Deacon Frost. But he's trying to get the power and turn himself into the blood god, what they call La Magra. Okay. And Blade's try is trying to stop him. Because even throughout the movie, he's like, "Oh, Deacon Frost. Like, you know, this guy has been all over the city and he's trying to stop him, right? And here's uh, something that's interesting about Blade unfortunately a specific cameo appearance was supposed to be on there you know what kind of cameo appearance i'm talking about in marvel movies
0: stanley oh he's
1: not he was supposed to be in it and he's not oh uh, boo they they took it out of the movie
0: worst worst thing they could do
1: yeah okay but i'll tell you what scene it was and where it was supposed to be it okay so stan lee was supposed to be a cop okay so you know the beginning of the movie where that guy's in the club and it's a blood fest. The yeah. And then Blade appears and kills all the, those vampires that are around.
0: Okay.
1: The vampire Quinn, when he burns him alive. So the cops come in while he leaves the human in the middle. Technically, Stan Lee was supposed to be there too with one of those cops.
0: Oh. Yeah. So do you know why they took him out?
1: Stan Lee characters, like, you know, obviously his cameo appearances. I think he had to do something with a wisecrack. Because you know how he always does wisecrack comments in his Marvel cameo appearances? Oh,
0: but the but the movie was a bit more serious than that? Yeah,
1: the movie was more serious than that. It was not like a comic movie where you can throw a little humor. Mm-hmm. No, it, this was what they call a superhero, dark thriller mm-hmm. action movie.
0: Okay, well they missed out because Stan Lee would have been, yeah, been great. Yeah, Stan
1: Lee would have been great, yeah. So besides Stan Lee, when it came to Blade, the movie cost $45 million to make. Guess how much it made? Mm, over 100000 for sure. Yes. It okay. made a well, $100,000. a 131000000 It made three times as much as what it, any of the Marvel movies has ever made before when they were struggling. Oh, wow. This movie. Saved them. Saved them. Wow. It saved them. Not just the money that's selling the earth, but because they still have like some type of royalties to the. Because sure. they created it. Right, this right. This is their baby. Their <laughs> baby right here. And because of Blade making that money, now Marvel production went from a slump and came back up. Now they, now have, they have. Now they had the power and the money. Guess now what's the next movie came up? X-Men. X-Men came now up. Now what happened to X-Men? Now we got Spider-Man. Who's dominating the comic book movies now?
0: Of course Marvel is. Marvel is now. Right.
1: Right? Now DC, they're trying really hard to make a comeback, but they're struggling.
0: Yeah.
1: Now they're struggling with keeping a Batman. Now they're struggling, trying to make Justice League bigger than the Avengers. It's not happening. Blade is what saved Marvel. If it wasn't for Blade, we wouldn't have Marvel today.
0: Case in point, period, and I agree with you.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. So all you Gen Z people that are saying (laughs) Spider-Man and X-Men, now you know the truth.
0: I've been educated. Yeah. That's fascinating. Thanks for sharing that.
1: Well, you know, Blade was such a good movie. Even though I didn't know it was a Marvel movie until I started studying the whole Marvel universe. Right. And Blade, to me, I thought it was just a cool action movie of a uh, vampire slash martial artist just saving the world. Yeah. It, it's such an iconic movie, man. And now guess what? Disney liked them so much that they, they oh, bought yeah. them.
0: One of the big dogs bought them. And, and you, know, you know
1: what's funny? Disney probably didn't have no interest in them in that era and disney right. was dominating no disney always dominates as usual right. unfortunately the movie film industry it's all marvel yeah name Maybe a movie nowadays that can dominate marvel nothing right now
0: no not with the numbers that they're bringing yeah. in yeah
1: thank blade right. yeah
0: wait so does that mean that Blade is considered a Disney villain or a Disney princess? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Blade is owned by New Line Cinema.
0: Oh, so they're not Disney at all? Okay.
1: Because remember, New Line Cinema bought the rights for Oh, Blade. right,
0: right, right. So He's got the royalties still.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Just like Sony owns Spider-Man so disney only gets a small percentage same thing with 20th century well then disney owns 20th century now so technically now they completely own um, x-men yeah there you go that's blade that's blade and as the word on the the film industry is that now they're making a a remake or a reboot of blade
0: Ooh, when that's in the works now do you know when it might come out
1: so yeah the remake of blade there it's supposed to come out sometime next year okay 2023 but nowadays they're probably not going to make it as violent as the original blade because now that disney owns it they okay. probably might keep it pg or maybe pg-13 but who knows the thing is they don't make the rating until the film's done
0: Oh, okay we'll find they, out
1: they probably can still keep it red at r i would think so because if they want to keep the same the same energy as the original blade the one that started it all yeah. I would think they would just keep it at R. Yeah, it might limit some, some viewers, but you would know that because it's a remake of a millennial classic that you might get those people there. Even the actor that they have casted as Blade, I'm so, so difficult with names. Maharshala, Is that how you say it?
0: Maharshali Ali? Yeah. I hate to butcher his name, but yeah, yeah he looks great. I'm sure he's gonna do a great job. Yeah,
1: and he does fit the description pretty good. Let's
0: hope
1: he. Let's hope he does good. Um, we're
0: gonna make Wesley Snipes proud.
1: But he better make it. Yeah, you have to make Wesley Snipes pretty proud to be like, yeah, dude. You did good. You did good. You know. <laughs> yeah. That's it for today. Before we end the show, we're back to the magic eight ball question. So earlier I said that we had a question. One more. What is the question?
0: The question here is, will a Blade remake be better than the original?
1: Let's hear the Magic 8-Ball. Sometimes it's so difficult to make a remake or a reboot of something that was really big and iconic. It has to do twice as better, but let's see what the Magic 8-Ball says. It says... It's actually in the middle. Oh no. Oh no. Undecided? That's right. That's undecided. Let me see. It says yes.
0: Really? Uh oh we'll find out then we'll
1: have to find out
0: i mean the magic eight ball never lies yeah
1: this is the halloween special number two i hope everybody enjoys this show and for all you marvel people out there especially this one individual that wanted me to bring up a marvel title well there's your marvel title dude thanks for listening in yeah thanks for listening in
0: that was so yesterday
1: (laughs) bye as Halloween is quickly approaching, the ghouls and ghosts in the neighborhood are creeping onto to haunt you. Keep checking that PKE meter. Who are you gonna call? Philly Phil and the Nat Attack. That's right, coming at ya with Possessed Dolls, the Rugrats and Real Monsters crossover, Spielberg's Nightmares and Poltergeist, and a supernatural title every 90s girls had a crush on next week on the Millennials of SoCal podcast.